read Joshua chapter 23, uh, five or six verses uh, from the book of Joshua. And uh, if this kind of sounds familiar, uh, this is how the book started out in back in chapter 1. And uh, so let me read 6 through 11. You can follow along as I read. Joshua is actually speaking to the leaders of the nation. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your amazing grace um, that we just sung about, a grace that uh, was personified in the person of Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And uh, thank you that in your grand design, um, you saw our need and you sent Jesus to be our Savior, to be our sin bearer, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves and that is to uh, pay the penalty of sin because you demanded a perfect sacrifice. Thank you for your abundant, overflowing grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for each one that's here today. Uh, Lord, we uh, do pray for uh, many in our church family that are are traveling today. Uh, Lord, give them journeys, mercies. Lord, some that are not feeling well, we pray for them, we pray for, Lord, many other needs that are here this morning that, uh, Lord, you know what's on our hearts, and thank you that we can um, cast all of our cares and concerns upon you because you care for us. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have been going through the book of Joshua for about five months, and uh, we're kind of turning the home stretch and headed to the finish of the book. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at uh, Joshua 23, and uh, next week, Joshua 24, where that very familiar, famous verse that Joshua uh, says to the nation of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we'll look at that next week. But this morning, we're in Joshua chapter 23. Just step back for a moment and think about the the book of Joshua. Uh, The theme of the book of Joshua is conquering, and the whole book is about God's promise to Israel. And we start out by looking at the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, where God chose Abraham to be the father of the Jewish nation And then he made a covenant with them. Abraham, through your descendants, the entire world will be blessed. And that, of course, came through through the person of Jesus Christ. But part of the Abrahamic covenant was also the promise of a piece of property, a piece of land. And in Genesis chapter 12, God also spoke these words to Joshua, or to Abram, rather, Abram traveled through the land, this is Canaan, as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abram, this land that we know now as Israel, that we know as Canaan back in the Old Testament, sometimes called it the promised land, 
This land belongs to you, Abram, and your descendants. And so as we come to the book of Joshua, it's all about the fulfillment of that promise. And in order to conquer that land, there were some Canaanites in there. And so uh, the book of Joshua records how they conquered the land. And of course, we read lots of stories. Not, not every battle is, uh, is listed there and talked about. But in Joshua 12, it lists 31 kings that they defeated to defeat the land. And as we come to Joshua chapter 23, now Joshua is at the end of his life. And he speaks to the leaders of the nation. And then in chapter 24, he speaks to the entire nation. So uh, let's look at Joshua chapter 23, uh, verse 1. We read, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. So finally some peace. They've been fighting battles for a long time, and now there's no more fighting, there's no more battles, there's some peace going on, and that's the context here. And it says that Joshua, by then, a very old man. Now, let's just pause there and think about um, an interesting question. What, how do you define old? And I don't know how our culture defines it. Um, I don't know how you define it, but uh, the Bible says Joshua is a very old man. So here's, here's kind of an overview timeline of Joshua's life, according to the commentators. They say Joshua was 47 at the time of the exodus from Egypt. So when Moses and the 10 plagues, uh, Joshua was 47 years old. Then they spent, if you remember, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So that makes Joshua... 87 years old when he takes on the mantle of being uh, the leader of the nation is because Moses has died. Joshua's been his right-hand man. He's 87. As we come uh, through the book of Joshua, uh, we come to chapter 24, verse 19. Joshua dies, and the Bible tells us how old he was. It says, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 100 and 10. Joshua is 110 years old as he uh, calls the nation uh, together and the leaders together to uh, share some very important things that's on their, their heart. So Joshua is 110. My dad's been gone almost two years now. He died, uh, it'll be two years in August. And I remember... Uh, when my mom died young, my dad remarried. Gloria was 10 years younger than my dad, uh, so there's a 10-year difference. And a couple years ago, uh, the family planned a big celebration because it was going to be that summer my dad's 90th birthday and my stepmom's 80th birthday. So we got a room, uh, rented a room at Cornerstone University. My dad had been a trustee there for like 40-plus years, and we had this big party and celebration for family and friends, and they all came. And I remember uh, when the party was kind of winding down and most of the people left and my dad's there just kind of with his extended family and he's thanking everybody for, for coming, all of his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And then he said, on to 100. <laughs> he's on to 100. And in God's providence, uh, for dad, it was, it was 91. But Joshua's 110. Now, I did a little research and then we won't, too much, take too much of a rabbit trail here, but we call people who live to be 100, 
centenarians. It uh, used to be that um, if you watch the Today Show, and I think Willard Scott just recently passed away, uh, you know, if you're 100 years old, you'd, you know, you'd have your face on the Smucker's uh, jelly jar and he'd pass on 100 birthdays to people. But uh, in our population, 0.02% of the U.S. population live to be 100. So your odds are not good. Uh, the statistics I have from a couple years ago, that equals to 55,000 people who are centenarians. 55,000 out of 330 million. It says four-fifths of the 55,000, this is no surprise, are females. Because women live longer than men. There's a joke there. I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there. Four-fifths are females. And again, no surprise, most members of the 100-plus club are also widowed, so they, they've already lost their spouse. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who is the pastor emeritus at Moody Church, one of the great prolific authors of our day, and uh, if you find anything by Dr. Lutzer, uh, I'd buy it and read it because it's, uh, it's good stuff. So he comes to Maranatha and speaks every ever year, and over the many years that we've been there, he would come and he would always, um, he, he was Canadian, he was born in Canada, and he would always come and say, I bring greetings from um, my dad and mom. And I'm thinking, Dr. Lutzer's in his 70s, now he's in his 80s, and every, every other year, bring greetings from dad and mom. Yep, uh, dad's 105 and mom's 103, and he bring you greetings from them. And uh, he used to say, his dad said, the greatest thing about turning him 100 was there's very little peer pressure in, in life. <laughs> because uh, no one else is that age. Um, <clears throat> one other uh, thought here, and I just came across uh, as I was looking at this, two weeks ago, the oldest person in Michigan and the 10th oldest in the world died at an assisted living facility in DeWitt, Michigan. Irene Dunham died peacefully in her sleep at the age of 114 years, 4 months, and 15 days. So uh, here's Joshua, and he is 110, and he calls this meeting because he's at the end of his life, and he calls all the leaders. And so let's, uh, let's look at this as he summons the leaders um, in Joshua chapter 23. And we want to look at five timeless truths from a wise and dying man. And I'll say this, when you know that you don't have much time left, uh, you tend to not talk about issues that are just like peripheral or, you know, how's the weather or how, do the, how bad are the tigers and all that kind of stuff. No, you want, you want to get to important stuff. And that's what Joshua is, is doing here. And so we want to think of these five timeless truths that he not only passes on to the leadership of Israel, but they're uh, for us today as well. So let's, let's look at the first one. Here it is. Always remember that victory comes from God. So here he is, they've conquered the land, uh, they've won all these battles, but he wants to remind them, you didn't do that on your own. That victory comes from God, verse 3. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And he, he goes on to, to review uh, Israel's history and how that happened in verses 9 and 10. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. 
One of you routes a thousand. Why? Because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. And so he wants to remind the nation, and, and Joshua is not going to be around much longer. He wants to remind them the key to victory is not your own strength, but the key to victory is God. It was God who parted the Jordan River at flood stage so you could enter the land. It was God who brought the walls of Jericho down after that uh, seven times around and the blowing of the trumpets. It was God who supplied that victory at Ai. It was God who helped you defeat the five Amorite kings by sending large hailstones down and sending them into confusion and answering Joshua's request that the sun stand still because I need more time to complete the battle. That, that wasn't your strength. That was God who did that. And so he wants to remind them that the key to victory comes from God. And that's true in our lives as well, isn't it? As we think about, um, we're not fighting a, a military battle right now, but um, the Christian life is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 talks about that. And where do our victories come from? Not in our own strength, we need to be reminded, but it comes through God. And we've got lots of hymns that talk about that in our hymn book. Uh, the battle belongs to the Lord. Um, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so victory comes in our life through, uh, through God as, as well. There's a second uh, timeless truth that, uh, that Joshua wants to pass on to the nation and the leaders and it's this, obedience to God's word is key to blessing in our lives. He wants to remind them that if you want God's blessing in your life, it is tied to obedience. And many times, and I've done this so many times in my life, you know, we want God's blessing. God, would you please bless me? Would you please bless my family? Would you please bless my children, my grandchildren, bless our church? And the scriptures say the key to God's blessing is obedience. It doesn't make sense to pray for God's blessing when we're not following his truth and following his ways and commandments. And so Joshua reminds them that the key to God's blessing is obedience. Uh, the verses we read in uh, the scripture reading, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. 23 years earlier, God spoke those very words to Joshua. That's Joshua 1.7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. And now 23 years later, at the end of Joshua's life, he's making that same statement to the leaders of the nation. Why? Because obedience is the key to God's blessing in not only Israel's life, but our lives as well. If we looked at Josh at Deuteronomy 28, and it's really one of the key uh, chapters in all of the Old Testament, it really explains the Old Testament. You know, why was why was Israel all the time falling into the hands of the enemy? And, and why eventually did God take the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom captive? The answer is right in Deuteronomy 28. 
Because God says to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth and all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then the next 14 verses are, this is how God's going to bless you. And then in verse 15, I think there are 63 verses in the chapter, it says the opposite. But if you don't follow me, if you don't obey me, if you don't follow my commands, guess what? This is what's going to happen. All these curses are going to come on you. And you're going to be taken captive and your life is not going to be very pleasant. Well, blessing comes through obedience. That was not only true for Israel, but it's true for us today. And uh, that principle is found in the uh, New Testament as well. As we think about um, James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 22, where uh, James tells us, don't just be hearers of the word and listen to the word. When you hear God's word and you just listen to it, you deceive yourselves. Verse 22, do what it says. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's God's word, and continues in it, obeys it, they will be blessed in what they do. So you want God's blessing in your life? Then we need to understand that the key is obedience to God's word. Number three, timeless truth number three. Uh, and this is fascinating. Uh, number three is don't allow the surrounding culture to influence you. Don't allow the, the nations around you. And when Joshua gave this farewell, there were still some pockets of Canaanites in Canaan. They, they weren't totally um, driven out. Uh, don't allow that culture to influence you. Look at verses 7 and 8. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And so one of the reasons that God wanted a total destruction of the Canaanites is because of uh, their culture, and they were horrific people, and they worshiped the god Molech, and they they had uh, child sacrifices to the god Molech, and uh, I would be very uncomfortable to go into all the details of their religious practices. And so um, he's saying, don't allow the surrounding culture to influence you. And sadly for the nation of Israel, that's what eventually happened. As we look into the end of the book of Joshua, it says that uh, the nation of Israel stayed the course as long as Joshua was alive, as long as some of the other leaders that were Joshua's uh, uh, contemporary with Joshua were alive. But after that generation died, guess what? Israel, rather than being the light that God wanted them to be to influence the other nations, was influenced by their surrounding culture and um, went down the wrong path. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, it says there's no king in Israel. Everybody's doing right what was in this, their own sight. And if there's ever a phrase that characterizes our culture today in America, it's that one. Um, that we have uh, 
neglected God's truth and uh, worship at uh, tolerance and relativism, and uh, this is my truth. And so uh, that's, that's the direction we're going today in our post-Christian era. And so uh, don't allow the surrounding culture to influence you. It was Dr. Vance Havner, the late Dr. Vance Havner, a southern preacher, who uh, uh, wrote a little booklet called Getting Used to the Dark. And his opening illustration is, uh, you know, you're outside on a sunny day like today, and then you walk into a restaurant where the lights are low and it's dark, and um, at first you can hardly see because you've come in from the blinding sun. But then as your eyes adjust and your pupils adjust, you begin to get used to the dark and it gets to be where you can see. And he says, that's what a lot of times happens in um, Christians in our culture. We get used to the dark. And boy, do we need to take a stand in our day for biblical truth. And it is not defined by the popular opinion polls. As I heard yesterday on the news, and it was quoted by one of our senators saying, well, the majority of Americans in the latest poll believe that Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. That's not how you define truth. God says that that is murder, and truth is defined by God's word. And yet, um, we can be very easily assimilated and influenced by the culture. And rather than being influenced by the culture, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount says, no, you are to be what? Salt and light. (laughs) You're to be the influencers. Let your light so shine so that others will see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. And so Joshua reminds the Israelites, don't allow God, uh, the surrounding culture, to, uh, to influence you. Truth number four uh, from Joshua chapter 23, and it's found in verse 11, and it's a very simple truth. Let me read verse, verse 11. It says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. So truth number four is simply this. He's reminding the Israelites to love the Lord your God. This is all through Scripture from the beginning to the end. I like to say that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, isn't it? It's a a love relationship. And God initiated that love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God commended and demonstrated his love toward us by sending Jesus, his son. And he invites us into this love relationship with him. Deuteronomy 6, all the way through the New Testament Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I'll be the first to admit that oftentimes um, our our worship and coming to church, it can become a a routine, and, and it's a good routine to get into, but we need to be motivated by what? Love for God. And we're here and we want to worship you and praise you. Why? Because we love you. And how do we demonstrate our love for God? Well, we, we spend time with Him. We are in His book. And uh, the other practical way is we love other people. Uh, we allow God's love to flow through us and, and touch the lives of others. 
Well, timeless truth number five. Uh, Joshua's reminding the leaders as he's about to um, pass, pass the way of the earth, as he puts it in uh, Joshua chapter 24. And here's where we'll spend just a little more time on, on this one. Timeless truth number five is this. Remember that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Earlier in Joshua chapter 21, um, we read verse 45 here. It says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. And then we come over to Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. We read, Joshua says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. (laughs) He's like, guess what? I'm about to die, but what's going to carry you through the rest of your life? The promises of God. Because not one of them will fail. Everyone that God promised you, God will fulfill. And Jesus echoed that in in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until Everything is accomplished, and Jesus is telling us the same thing. Every promise in this book will come to pass because God is the ultimate promise keeper. God is a God who cannot lie. So Pastor Ray Pritchard writes these words about that promise. The good news is that God fully intends to keep his promises to you. What he did for Israel so long ago, he does for his people today. As we trust and obey, as we fight and pray, as we stand up for righteousness and shine the light in a darkened world, one by one the promises are kept. And in the end, and not until then, we will look back and say, the Lord did it. Not one of his good promises failed. All came to pass. And so what gives us confidence in the chaotic world in which we live? It's the promises of God. Now, we need to be careful when we think about the promises of God because the context of those promises is important. And so when you study the Bible, you need to understand, to whom is this promise given? Because some promises in the Bible were given specifically, what, to the nation of Israel, So we're not the nation of Israel. Some promises in the Bible are given to the church. Some promises were given to individual believers. And so we need to understand the context. Is is this given to Israel or is this a promise that I can claim? The other thing when we study the promises of God is that we need to understand whether the promise is conditional or whether it's unconditional. In other words, when, when God promises this, is this an automatic promise without me having to do anything? 
Or is the promise connected to something that I need to do? In other words, it's, it's conditional. And so uh, we need to remember that God always keeps his promises. And so I thought maybe an encouraging way to kind of land the plane this morning is to think about um, what are some promises that we can claim this morning? What are some truths from God's word that can, uh, we can hold on to no matter what you're facing in your life today and where your circumstances are? And so I've come up with five of them. Surprise, surprise. They all start with the letter P. Um, but um, that's, that's the way it came out. So let's look at them. And then we're going to think about are they conditional or unconditional? So here's the first one. Uh, the first one is the promise of God's presence, the promise of God's presence. And, and that's a promise that God gave to the Israelites right before they went into the land of Canaan. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that promise is repeated all through the Old Testament. It's uh, repeated in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a quote of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31, I believe. But if you're a believer this morning, if you have Christ in your heart, God promises to never leave us and never forsake us. That means he's always there. That means we don't have to pray, Lord, would you be with us today? Because he already is. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? And so God is always with us. Family may forsake us. Friends may leave us. God never will. He keeps his promises. God's presence is always with us. That is an unconditional promise. Uh, there's a second promise, and it's the promise of peace with God. And that's from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And that's an unconditional promise. So if we're going to make peace with God, there's some steps that we need to take, and that is to repent of our sin, put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as, as our sin bearer, our Savior, and repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus for our eternal salvation. And when you do that, the Bible says you've now made that peace treaty with God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, the most important peace that you can make in your life. And it's the promise of peace with God. There's a third promise that um, is... Um, uh, and the promise of the peace with God, I want to make sure. I said that's conditional. I think I said that. Yeah, I need to ask Christ into your heart. This next one's conditional as well. And it's called the promise of the peace of God. And this is something that all of us need, no matter where we are in our lives today, uh, because the promise of the peace with God is our position in Christ. We're, we're justified. We're saved. Uh, we're secure in him. We're on our way to heaven. That's our eternal destiny. The peace of God has to do with our day-to-day -day life and daily practice in life and what we face and our circumstances in life. And boy, do we need this promise today. And it's found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Uh, familiar, familiar verses. Uh, Paul writing from prison, Do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, what am I to do? 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Stop worrying. I want you to pray. And I want you to give this situation to me, the sovereign God who's in control of all things. And when you do that, then there's a promise that comes, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts, that's your emotions, your minds, in Christ Jesus. And so it's a wonderful promise. It's not an easy one because um, life uh, throws us all difficult things. And we're all a phone call away from uh, a difficult situation. And uh, we never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Just this week and past week in our family, and I shared it yesterday with uh, some of our guys at our our meeting, but uh, my stepmom that lives in um, Rest Haven in Grand Rapids and uh, she's in assisted living there. And I've mentioned a few times we went to visit her about three weeks ago and She's going to be 83, and we've just noticed this uh, decline, um, gradual decline, and uh, she she cannot get up out of her chair on her own. She has to have that one of those lift chairs, and um, she's told us, I'm having trouble speaking, and my speech isn't isn't um, working well, and I, I get out of breath real easily, and so she's had a couple doctor's appointments, and we got a, a text on uh, on Tuesday um, for my niece who took her to the doctor and said, um, the doctor says that her symptoms are um, very much uh, characteristic of uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And now she's got an appointment on the 25th of May with a neurologist to find out if she has that dreaded three-letter word disease, ALS. How do you deal with that? How do you stop from worrying? And I'm not, this is something I need to go back to over and over again when I worry. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. All right. I can't do anything, but I can pray, and I'm going to give this to you and the promise of God's peace. Uh, number, I think we're on number four here. These five promises is the promise of God's uh, provision, the God's provision. Philippians 4.19. Here's a great promise. Paul writes, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. God will provide all of your needs. Now, this is one that I've, I've, I've thought about this over the years. I've kind of struggled with in thinking, is that a conditional promise or an unconditional promise? The reason I say that is because the book of Philippians is really a thank you note. And the Philippian believers um, heard about Paul's need. They sent him a gift. And so Paul's writing back and maybe Paul's saying, you know, as you provided for my need, as you were generous in your life, God will also meet your needs. Or is that an, an unconditional promise for everyone? I, I, I don't know. Um, Maybe I would lean toward the unconditional one, but uh, either way, God has promised that he will meet our every need. He is Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22, the God who provides, and he will will provide as we trust him. 
Uh, the last one is the promise of God's providence, the, the promise of God's providence. What does this promise mean? This promise means that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, God promises that for a Christian, he can work all things together for good. It's what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 50, 20 at the end of his life, and he confronts his brothers who basically tried to kill him and threw him in a pit and um, all that Joseph went through. And he goes, um, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good to keep people alive. God, God had a master plan in getting Joseph to Egypt, and then Joseph became uh, Potiphar's right-hand man, and Joseph came up with this plan to be prepared for a time of famine, and that uh, provision that Joseph put into place really was the key to survival to Jacob's family, who went from um, Canaan to Egypt because there was no food in Canaan, and 70 uh, members of Jacob's family came because there was food there. They end up leaving 400 years later with two million, <laughs> but it was Joseph's position there in, in God's God's plan. You meant it for evil; God meant it for good. And it's that promise in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, again given to believers. We know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. He doesn't say everything is good. We know that that's not true, but in all things, God works for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And what is that good that he wants to accomplish? Verse 29, he wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So God uses all sorts of things. And uh, the whole uh, theme of the book of First Peter is pain with a purpose. Um, you know, we can deal with a lot of pain physically if we know there's a purpose, you know. Okay, i got to go through this, but if, it, it's going to do this for me. And that's the message of First Peter. No matter what kind of pain you're going through, that pain has a purpose. And James talks about trials and the purpose of trials. And trials work, what, character development, don't they? Um, it, it works perseverance in our life. And and the words hupomone, and and God uses trials what to to draw him to draw us to himself, and to form our character. And so timeless truths from a wise and dying man always remember that victory comes from God, and that's true for us as well. The key to God's blessing in our life is obedience. You want to be blessed? Follow this book. Don't allow the surrounding culture to influence you. Love the Lord your God. And then remember that God always keeps his promise. And I don't know what promise you need today of those five that I, I listed. Uh, we've got God's presence with us if you know Christ. Uh, hopefully you've experienced peace with God. But uh, maybe it's that peace of God. Or maybe it's resting in the fact that God will provide for our needs. And he will use everything we're facing for our good and his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have uh, to look into your word. And I thank you for these wise words uh, from thousands of years ago from the leader Joshua to the, the nation. 
Lord, thank you that um, two millenniums later we can read the same words and um, be encouraged. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for your promises. And Lord, I pray for each one here today. Lord, may we stand firm on the, the promises of God that will carry us through all of life. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.